Let me put it this way. I, I, like, I like to think that God is real. I don't believe in God because the idea that an omniscient, loving being would judge me who is mortal and ignorant based on a few years' experience, I find to be rather a cruel thought. All the power that God has, he, she, it has given to me. So we're definitely one. Uh, I hope I hope there's there's something else out there. It'd be, it'd be fun to experience Either that or we're all just evolved apes. Um, I was raised atheist. I don't believe in a higher power. But I also don't claim to know everything about the world. I don't know. I don't know if there is one. I just pretend, I guess, and hope that there's something else out there. We all think about God from time to time, and even though we may conclude that there is no God, it's, it's almost impossible to not think about God occasionally. In fact, we even see that in, in young children, there are questions about God and about God's existence. I, I just want to read a few letters from children to God. Dear God, I read the Bible. What does begat mean? Nobody will tell me. Love, Allison. God, I bet it's very hard for you to love all of everybody in the whole world. There are only four people in my family, and I can never do it. Dear God, are you really invisible, or is that just a trick? Dear God, Darla writes, did you really mean do unto others as they do unto you? Because if you did, then I'm going to fix my brother. Dear God, how come you did all those miracles in, in the old days, but you don't do any now? See more. God, it's okay that you made all the different religions, but don't you get mixed up sometimes? Dear God, I wish there was no such thing as sin. I wish there was no such thing as war. Tim, age nine. Dear God, maybe Cain and Abel would not kill each other so much if they had their own rooms. It works for my brother and me. (laughs) So the problem is that for some of us, if God doesn't write back, we begin to wonder if he really exists. And I want you to know that that if that's where you are, it's okay to have those questions because we all have those questions and and God is not afraid of our questions. God welcomes our questions and you are welcome here at River Rock Bible Church even if you have questions about God because we all do. We've all at some time, whether, whether it's a literal letter or just tossing up a prayer in the midst of a struggle, we've all had questions for God and, and God is not afraid of those. He welcomes those and is prepared for those. And even though he may not write his name in the sky or send us a handwritten note, God has, has uh, written us a letter and given us plenty of indicators of his presence. And this morning we're going to look at, at just a couple of those indicators of God's presence that we can see, not only in Scripture, but also just as we look at the world around us. So if you would, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. We're going to begin in Romans chapter 1, uh, verses 18 through 20. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now normally I I wouldn't do this, uh, I wouldn't just read one verse and stop, but uh, this verse has, has a pretty hard message to swallow talking about God's wrath, and I'm afraid that if we don't talk about God's wrath here, there may be some who, who can only focus on this idea of God's wrath, that we would get tangled up in that. 
And so I want to take just a minute to, to talk about God's wrath so that we can have an understanding of what it is. God's wrath is, is not this uncontrollable emotion that, that God unleashes against those that he dislikes. God's wrath is, is actually... Uh, It's his just and holy and righteous response to sin and rebellion. And even if you're here this morning and and have already concluded that you don't believe God exists, I think we could all agree that, that there's something wrong in this world and we all have a deep desire to see what's wrong be made right. Well, uh, what we have is, is that there, there's all this stuff that's wrong and God has to make it right. And from a human perspective, we may not see love and wrath as compatible, but in God, there's no conflict between his great love and his wrath. In fact, in, in John 3.36, uh, what we see is that God's love and his wrath actually guarantee us that what is wrong will be made right. All the things that we see that are wrong in this world through God's love and through his wrath at the same time working together will be made right. Listen to John 3.36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. What we see in in these verses is God's love demonstrated through the offer of eternal life through his Son, Jesus Christ. That through Jesus, we could escape God's wrath. Now, when when the Bible talks about believe, Right? That verse says, whoever believes in the Son. It's not just talking about believe in the sense that children believe in Santa Claus or that Longhorn fans believe that they're still going to win the Big 12 or that, that uh, Cubs fans every year at the beginning of the season believe that this is the year. We're going to go to the World Series, right? That's not what, what the Bible means by believe. When the Bible uses the word believe, what it means is, is to trust, that we would place our trust in something. And so in this verse in John 3.36, what what Jesus is saying is that God has made an offer to all who will believe in the Son that they can escape God's wrath simply by placing their trust in the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he took our sins upon himself and died in our place, that he be, bore God's wrath for us so that we could escape that. First John actually uses the word propitiation, to talk about Jesus. And the Greek word there is helosmos, and it literally means wrath-bearer. And so what we see in Scripture is that Jesus became our wrath-bearer, that the penalty for our sins, that God justly and righteously has to judge, Jesus took that upon himself and died on the cross in our place so that, so that all mankind could experience God's love, God's forgiveness of their sins, and experience eternal life simply by trusting in Christ. And so what we see is that, that there's no conflict between God's love and God's wrath. And both Paul and Jesus are pointing out that, that those who remain under God's judgment, uh, under his wrath, it's not because of their sin, but it's, it's because of a rejection of God's provision for a way out of his wrath. It's because people have rejected the truth it's a rejection, a refusal to place your trust in Christ that he died for your sins and that he rose from the dead. It's a refusal to, to accept Christ as your wrath bearer. 
So I, I hope you can see through all of this that, that God's wrath and God's love are working together to provide us a way of escape from that wrath. And that way of escape is Jesus Christ. And uh, we're going we're gonna to move on, but I just I want to encourage you, if you have questions about that, if that's, if that's something that, that you're wrestling with, please come talk to me afterwards. I'd, I'd love to continue that conversation. But I hope we can all agree that, that wrath is, is not something to be feared because God has lovingly and graciously provided us a way of escaping his wrath. Let's continue to look at Romans chapter 1, beginning in, in verse 18 again. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Now, what we see in these verses is that God has given us some natural indicators for his existence. There are natural indicators for God. And some examples of those are creation and beauty. Now, I, I want to kind of unpack this beauty um, real quick as we, as we look at Psalm 19. You don't need to turn there because there's going to be some pictures that come up on the screen. And I just want to read Psalm 19 verses 1 through 4 and allow you to, to just think about these pictures. And, and what's happening in this psalm is that King David, who, who wrote the psalm, is looking out into the world around him and making observations about God based on what he experiences. So, uh, just enjoy these, these pictures as I read. Psalm 19, verses 1 through 4. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth their words to the ends of the world. So what we see in, in both verses 3 and 4 that talk about no speech or language, but their voice, where their voice is not heard, their voice goes out into all the world to the ends of the earth. And then going back to Romans chapter 1, Paul says, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because he has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, his invisible qualities have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. Both these passages are pointing out the same thing, that everything that we see in the world around us, the beauty and the creation that, that God has made is, is speaking to all humanity, regardless of our language, regardless of, of what language we speak or what country we live in. We can simply look at what God has created and see that there is an indicator that God exists. Uh, the best example I could think of, of of a universal language was a smile. Right? You go anywhere in the world, and if someone smiles at you or laughs with you, hopefully not at you, but with you, you know what that means, right? If you go to Russia and someone smiles at you, you don't, you don't think, oh, what are, what are, they, are they showing aggression? They're showing me their teeth. I don't know what's going on here. No, you know that when they smile at you, that they're welcoming you, that they're saying that they're friendly. So no matter where you are, and it, it happens to me all the time, I have three two-year-olds in my house, and so there's a lot of smiling and nodding, because you don't understand what they're saying, right? You just kind of smile and nod. You say, uh-huh. So we do that a lot in our house, but 
it's that universal language of, of the smile that, that I'm your friend. I want to welcome you in. Okay, so even when we don't understand, we have that universal language. And in that same kind of universal language, God has communicated his existence to all mankind just through his creation. Some of you uh, may be familiar with the phrase, according to Hoyle. If you are, then you're probably a pretty good poker player, right? So Edmund Hoyle in the 1700s wrote a lot about uh, the rules of different card games and some of the probabilities, and uh, uh, he's famous for all of his rules. And in fact, card players still today use his probabilities to figure out whether or not they should bet more or bet less uh, or fold because of what he wrote, because of his studies 1700 years, or back in the 1700s. Now, some of you are probably thinking, Charlie, what, what do rules and probabilities for card games and poker have to do with the existence of God? Absolutely nothing. But there is another Hoyle, Fred Hoyle, who was a renowned astronomer. And Fred Hoyle uh, was a guy who, who was famous for his, his thoughts on uh, the, the foundation of, of the earth. You see, even as an astronomer, while everyone else in his field was accepting Darwinism in that there was this spontaneous combustion that created life, in the 1950s, it was Hoyle who created the term Big Bang. And he actually used it not to, as an improving manner, but he used it to make fun of this idea that life just spontaneously happened. And so he wrote extensively about this. Now, some of you are probably thinking, well, then he must be one of those conservative Christian creationist people, right? Well, not exactly. He also has been quoted as saying, uh, I am not a Christian, nor am I likely to become one as far as I can tell. So here we have a man who uh, is a a world-renowned astronomer, knows a lot about the workings of the universe. He rejects Darwinism, but he has theories about how the world came to be. And, and here he's, he's written a lot about the, these theories and, and the probabilities of life happening accidentally. And here's how he compares it. He says that the chances of life happening accidentally are the same as if you blindfolded 2,000 people and gave each one of them a Rubik's Cube and they started working it at the same time and every single one of them came to a perfect solution at exactly the same time, right? Those are not good odds. To put it numerically, the odds are 10 to the 40,000th power to 1, all right? I don't think anybody would take that bet. He, he put it another way later on in his life. He said, it would be like a tornado going through a junkyard and perfectly assembling a 747, all right? So, I don't know if you've ever seen what happens after a tornado, but I've never seen a 747 come out of a tornado. It just doesn't happen. What, what, uh, Ed, what Frederick Hoyle is talking about is this idea called the fine-tuned universe, that when we look at the universal constants that are in the world around us, that there's this fine-tuning that leads us to believe that there's got to be some sort of intelligent design here, some sort of creator. This isn't just an accident. This, this is exactly what we see in Scripture that Paul is, is pointing us to. The, for example, there are things like the rotation of the earth, the tilt of the earth, the uh, magnetic poles, the amount of carbon dioxide, the ratio of nitrogen to oxygen, the ozone layer, and water vapor. All of these things are working in perfect harmony 
to support life on earth. Not just life, but human life. And if one of those things were out of balance, then life could not exist. And so you have all of these things that have been fine-tuned and point us to the fact that there's a creator, that God does exist. That's not all. You know, when we, when we look at chapter 1, what we see is that there are these, these uh, natural indicators for God's existence, but there's one more that I want us to look at this morning in Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 14. It says, Indeed, when the Gentiles, who do not have the law, do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. All right, so what's going on here is that Paul is writing a letter to the church in Rome, which is made up of Gentile Christians, people that are non-Jews, and Jewish Christians, people that are related to Abraham by blood. And the Jewish Christians are under the impression that because they're related to Abraham, because uh, through Moses, God had, had written down and given them his law, which is called the Mosaic Law or the Torah. It's the first five books in the English Bible. Because they had that, they thought, well, we must have something, you know, we've got a leg up on these other Christians over here. But Paul says, no, that's, that's not the case because... What we see is that when you look at the way the Gentiles live, even though they don't have God's written law and they don't have knowledge of it, they still live out some of the laws, like do not murder and do not steal. They recognize those things as wrong. And so what we see in this passage is that there are ethical indicators for God's existence. And the examples that Paul gives are our conscience and our sense of right and wrong. In his book, called The Abolition of Man, C.S. Lewis writes extensively about this, this idea of the ethical indicators for God, that because of our conscience and our sense of right and wrong, we can be pointed to the fact that God exists. And he looks into the morals and the laws that are common to uh, Christianity, the Jewish faith, Egyptian, Babylonian, Roman, Old Norse, Greek, Hindu, Australian, Aborigine, Chinese, and Native American uh, cultures and religions. And even though these, these cultures and religions couldn't be any more different in what they actually believe, there's this common understanding of certain laws. And each of these accept things like the desire for impartial justice, a longing for truth, for mercy, for kindness, marital faithfulness, and respect for human life. Right? So you can go anywhere in the world and, and if you walk up to someone and shoot them in the face, everyone around you is going to know that was wrong. Right? There's not going to be any question. There's not going to be anybody that says, well, maybe they deserved it. No, everyone's going to know that was wrong. And there's going to be a desire to see you accused or, or found guilty of murder. Right? There's no question about that. Across the board, wherever you go, that's what you're going to find. So what we see is, is that natural indicator. And the fact that there's such widely recognized and widely accepted uh, morals and values that align with what we find in Scripture is an indication to us and ought to be an indication to all the world that God exists. That's an ethical indicator seen through our, our conscience and our sense of right and wrong. Now, some of you are probably thinking, well, Charlie, I know plenty of people that seem to have absolutely no conscience. 
right? I see them every day. It seems like they don't know the difference between right and wrong. Well, that's, that's true. And if you go back to verse, uh, the passage in chapter 1, Paul tells us exactly why that is. He says it's because men have suppressed the truth. A, a great example of that is this idea of relativism, right? Relativism says that there's no such thing as absolute truth. That what's right for me is right for me, and what's right for you is right for you. Sounds pretty good, right? So I can do what I want, and you can do what you want, and we can both be happy. But when it comes down to it, even people who say that that's what they believe, they don't really believe it. I'm, I'm sure some of you have, have probably run into this at work. You know, there's the guy at work who's stealing the office supplies, and he's taking them home, or he comes and he runs 8,000 copies for his, you know, kid's book report or whatever, and uh, he justifies it saying, well, I work here and, and this stuff's available to me, so it's okay for me to take it home. Um, there's no problem with me having this stuff. But the second his favorite pen goes missing and he finds the person using it, what does he say? That's mine. You stole it. Right? All of a sudden, stealing becomes wrong because he had been stolen from. But when he's stealing from someone else, there's, there's no big deal there. We see the same thing in the fact that when a citizen lies to an elected official, it's called perjury. But if an elected official lies to a citizen, it's just politics, right? They can stand up there and say whatever they want, and it doesn't matter. There's a double standard there. And what we see is that, that we can all recognize that these things are wrong, and that's the ethical indicator for God. In the play, After the Fall, uh, the playwright Arthur Miller really illustrates this idea of, of the ethical indicators for God through his character, Quentin. Quentin is on a search for uh, the kind of the meaning of life and, and what is everything all about. And he's trying to live a good life, thinking that, that he's on some sort of upward path and that in the end, there's going to be a judgment and he's going to be found either uh, justified or he's going to be condemned. But either way, there's going to be this final verdict. And here's what Quentin has to say about that. He says, I think now that my disaster really began when I looked up one day and the bench was empty. No judge in sight. All that remained was the endless argument with oneself, this pointless litigation of existence before an empty bench, which of course is another way of saying despair. Author Tim Keller really kind of unpacks this for us in one of his books called A, A Reason for God. And this is what he says. He says, we all live as if it's better to seek peace instead of war, to tell the truth instead of lying, to nurture rather than to destroy. We believe that these choices are not pointless, that it matters which way we choose to live. Yet if the cosmic bench is truly empty, then who says that one choice is better than the others. We can argue about it, but it's just pointless arguing, endless litigation. Whether we are loving or cruel in the end will make no difference at all. Once we realize this situation, we have two options. One is that we can hold to our intellectual belief in an empty bench and yet live as if our choices are meaningful and as if there is a difference between love and cruelty some would argue that in doing this, you get the benefit of having God without the cost of following him. 
But there's no integrity in that. The other option is that you recognize that you do know there is a God. You could accept the fact that you live as if beauty and love have meaning, as if there's meaning in life, as if human beings have inherent dignity, all because you know that God exists. What both the character Quentin and author Tim Keller are saying is that if God doesn't exist, then how we, do, how we live doesn't matter. Yet, even for those who claim they don't believe God exists, what we find is that they still live as if the way they live matters. Romans 2 tells us exactly why that is. It's because of the ethical indicators for God. Because we have been created in God's image, and part of that means that he has placed within each and every one of us his law on our hearts. We have a conscience and a sense of right and wrong that are given to us by God to help point us back to him. Uh, I've got a good friend uh, that I would like to invite up at this time, Jared Bush. I'm going to ask you to come on up. Jared is a friend of mine who uh, has wrestled with this question. And uh, I just want to have an opportunity for us to hear from him about his wrestling with this question and, and uh, what conclusions he came to. So Jared, go ahead and have a seat. Good morning. Everybody say hi, Jared. Jared, say hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. All right. Jared, tell us about your wrestling with the question, does God exist? When, when did you first begin wrestling with this question? Um, uh, so a little background about myself. I grew up going to the church, um, going to church every Sunday, going to Sunday school, getting involved at the church. Um, but what I didn't understand was that I thought you went to church because you had to go to church, because that's how you get to heaven. You have to act a certain way to get to heaven. I didn't understand um, salvation through grace. I didn't understand how to have a relationship with God. And so I started to have that struggle early, pretty early on in my life. I started to have that struggle starting in high school, um, and then especially going to college. Um, you know, I studied college that was heavy in science, and so I needed some sort of proof in my life. And um, I guess I discredited the Christian God almost immediately because of the people that were around me. They preached one thing, but they lived their lives completely different. And I said, how hypocritical and how judgmental these people could be. And if they're worshiping that God, I, don't, I want nothing to do with that God. So you grew up in South Dakota. All right, so I'll talk slow. Uh, no, you had an opportunity to, to really see some of God's beautiful creation in the mountains and the prairies that, that are up there in South Dakota. Um, tell us, did you ever see any of the natural indications for God? Anything that you ever saw up there uh, lead you to question whether or not God existed? Um, you know, I think I saw it every day of my life. You know, I grew up on a farm, and I saw the, the beauty of birth of animals all the time. And then... You know, even when I went to college and I studied science, and science is awesome, by the way. It's just, you know, it's collecting data, and it's, it's a collection of things that we see, and it's, it's orderly, and it follows rules, and, but it's limited on our understanding. And there were so many things that I couldn't find an answer for, even the characteristics of water. I mean, it doesn't follow the rules of normal elements, but we need it to, to act that way for life. And I saw this every day in my studies and going on around me, and I think my life wasn't spent trying to prove that God existed. I spent my life trying to prove that God didn't exist. And even though it was going on all around me, I, I worked really hard to deny the existence of God because that mean, meant I would have to bow down to God. And I, 
I thought I was making myself the God of my life, but, you know, I don't think that's possible. I think what I did in my particular case is I made culture the God of my life, and that's the God that I followed, and that's the God that I worshipped, and that's, that's, what I, that's where I tried to find meaning in, in my life. So in the midst of, of doing what, what is accepted by culture and trying to make culture your God, did you ever experience any of the ethical indicators um, talk to us a little bit about your experience there and, and kind of what was going on. And, and uh, you know, I, I know the background, but they don't. But was there, was there anything that, as you were going through that, as you talk about it, that kind of, in the back of your mind, you knew was wrong? You knew wasn't right? Um, well, you know, first of all, you have to say, oh, all right, culture was my God. And so what does culture say is acceptable? What does culture say um, makes you uh, successful? meaningful. So it's money, it's wealth, it's are you accepted by other people? And so I had that. I had a great job. I did good. I was good at my job. I had a big house. I had cars. I had money. I had a wife. I took great vacations. I was the life of the party. I, Lindsay Lohan would have hung out with me, man. Um, but I started doing things. There was this emptiness, and I think that was the main thing, is that all of this stuff, it didn't fill. There was something in my life that it couldn't fill, and so I stopped caring, and I started doing things that I, that I knew were wrong, um, not because society told me they were wrong or culture told me they were wrong. I started, you know, drinking, abusing alcohol, abusing drugs. I was unfaithful to my wife. All these things that society says are okay, but I knew it was wrong. Thank you for sharing. Um, so what was your final conclusion and, and kind of what was the process of, of getting to your search for does God exist? Um, you know, there came, a, there came a point in my life when I just I couldn't deny it. And that point was um, February 20th of 2010. And there was a preparatory period coming, coming up to that event where God prepared me. Um, I didn't hit rock bottom. I was far from that. But I started dying inside. I started to become desperate inside because everything that I had started meaning absolutely nothing to me. And um, I took a trip to Haiti um, after the earthquake in 2010 um, to do orthopedic surgery. And it was there that I saw the power of God in people's lives. I saw him working in the lives of the people of Haiti who had absolutely nothing. So I'm growing up in a culture telling me I need this, 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 and this to be happy, to be joyful, to um, have meaning in my life. And they had absolutely none of that. They lost their families. They lost their homes. They lost absolutely everything. But they had hope and they had joy. And that's something that I never had in my whole life. And so it was at that time when I said, man, this is, there's, something, there's something here. This, and they, they knew God. They had a name for him, and it was Jesus, and they knew him, and they knew that he would care for them no matter what happened, or happened around them. Um, and so, you know, it wasn't like a big booming voice came out of the sky like in The Simpsons. It's, it's not anything like that. And it's, you still have, I had to take a step of faith. Even seeing all of that, I had to take that first step, and I had to say, okay, Jesus, I'm putting my trust in you. Now, what are you going to do for me? Um, and it just, at that minute, at that minute, I had this, this feeling of peace um, that was just unexplainable. And it was, very, um, and very, it was very encouraging to me. And so over time, that minute, when I put my trust in Jesus, it allowed me to have a relationship with the God of the universe. Um, 
And so you trust him, and you trust him, and you trust him a little bit more, and he makes a change in your life. And you trust him a little bit more, and he changes more. So tell us specifically, what are some of the things that have changed in your life since that time? Um, my marriage, which I had completely written off. Um, there was, you know, there was no repairing it. And he, he took over and he, he repaired my marriage. He, he, he brought me out of the depths of alcoholism and drug abuse and so many things in my life. Um, you know, I'm a completely different person now than I was then. And, you know, you don't know this because back then there'd be no way I would hang out with you people. But, you know. <laughs> what do you mean, I, you people? <laughs> here I am. And, you know, I look back and God was never absent in my life. He was there all along. And I'm, I'm 100% confident of that. He just let me do what I needed to do. He let me fail where I needed to fail to get my attention. So I would finally pay attention to him. And so... Otherwise, you know, if I would just worship the God that my, my, that my parents worshiped, I would always, I think, have that doubt in my mind. But he let me, let me make the failures that I needed to make and did it in such a way that I just can't deny his existence. Thank you very much, Jared. Thank you for sharing. Does God exist? When we look to the Bible for the answer to this question, what we see is that there are natural indicators for God, are, are the beauty and the intricacy of God's creation. Not only that, but we see that there are also ethical indicators for God in our conscience, in our sense of right and wrong, that God has written not only in his creation, but in each and every one of our hearts, this longing for him, this proof that he's there. Now, there, there may be some of you here this morning who are still wrestling through this question. And again, I just want to let you know that God is not intimidated by your questions, and neither is River Rock Bible Church. And I, I would encourage you that if, if you are wrestling through that, come talk to, to me or, or Jared would be a great source as someone who's been through there, that. Um, at the end of our service, we're going to have prayer teams and our elders up front, and they would love to talk to you. And we just want to walk through this journey with you. There may be some of you here this morning, too, that as soon as we started talking about God's wrath back in that, chap that verse in chapter 1 of Romans, that's all you've been able to think about. And you can't get past that point. And if that's you, I, again, I just want to let you know that that's okay and that you are still welcome here and that, that we, again, want to come alongside of you and walk through this process with you as you seek answers. We want to do the best we can to help you find the answers to those questions. Lastly, you may be here this morning and have long ago concluded that God does exist. And I want to challenge you with this. If that's you, if, if you've already concluded that God does exist, let me ask you, what difference is that making in your daily life? What difference is it making in the choices that you make minute by minute and day by day? You know, we've talked a lot about people who don't believe in God, yet live as if he does exist, but I want to challenge you to think, am I one of those people that says I do believe in God, yet lives as if he doesn't exist? Just like we talked about last week when we looked at the dot and the line, we need to be asking ourselves, what am I living for? Am I living for the here and now, or am I living for what God would have me live for? And our lifestyle, a lot of times, can be an indicator of, of what we truly believe about God. Someone once said, uh, what I practice daily 
is what I believe. The rest is simply religious talk. So let's ask ourselves, is the way that I'm living demonstrating that I truly believe that God exists? Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that that you do exist, Lord, that you do hear us when we call out to you and that not only through your creation but also within our own hearts you have demonstrated your love and your, your desire to have a relationship with us. God, we thank you that that relationship is available through your son, Jesus Christ, who bore the, the pain and the penalty of our sin on himself as he died on the cross and was raised from the dead. Lord, we thank you that, that Jesus is our wrath bearer and that not only can we know that you exist, but we can know you personally through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So this morning, I just, I pray for, uh, for each and every person here, no matter where we are spiritually, no matter what we're going through or what questions we have about you or about the Bible, God, that we would together look for answers to these questions and that we would seek after you and that you would reveal yourself to us. Father, we praise you and thank you again. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.